suite number one. Now I can hear myself very well. And it's written by um, Bach, if you don't know. And originally it was written for just one. And it's an amazing, amazing piece of music. And I just thought I'd bring some culture to uh, Farmington this morning. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding a little bit. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's by, by Bach. And so on, the, on every piece that Bach wrote, every piece that he wrote, at the very bottom of it, he put this. SDJ, SDJ, which means to God be the glory. So everything that he ever wrote in his life, as soon as he finished it, he put SDJ, which translated into our English would be to God be the glory. So every time you hear a Bach piece, you know that he was writing for the glory of God. He was trying to do something with his music. He was trying to bring hope into the world just through what he was writing. And even though maybe classical is not your cup of tea, here's a guy a long time ago that was glorifying Jesus Christ with his music. Now, this is interesting to me because, um, name some philosophers. Oh, Plato. Um, Plato. Plato. Right? Plato. Um, How many songs have been written for him. Aristotle, how many songs have been written for him? You would think that a philosopher who changed people, the way people think and, and changed their lives, somebody would have written a song about him, but nobody wrote a song about him. But there's a ton of music about the Lord Jesus Christ because he came to redeem the entire world. And so people have written books about him. People have written songs about him. People sing praises on Sunday morning about him. It is an amazing thing. He's the only figure in history that has this much music written about him. Only person in history. So if you're here this morning and you're an atheist or an agnostic or someone searching and you're not even wondering if, if you're wondering if God is real or not, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is real and all you have to do is look at the music that's written about him to gain enough evidence to show that he was really existed and was really here. So, there you go. With that said, let's turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. The title of the message this morning is Mark That Danger. Mark That Danger. If you don't know who I am, I'm Philip Brand, and I'm the pastor here, and I've been here for 11 years now, and it's been great. Plan to be here till I, till I die. So that either means the church kills me or God takes me home. Either way, he's going to take me home, one of the two. But this is a great church, and if you're visiting and you're looking for a church, there is something special about this location at 1835 Farmington Road. Something very special about this. So um, I'm glad you're here this morning. Glad you could, you could be with us. So Mark chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 29. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And it says this, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So he healed her. Amazing moment. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. I just want to pause here a moment to say, I think 
more people than we realize are oppressed by demons and don't even know it. I, I, believe, I believe that. So they, they brought him these people. Verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So he didn't want his identity to be shown at this particular time. So if on a scale of one to 10, 10 being very successful and one being you probably should quit, how would you rate Jesus' ministry at this point in time? As a one, he should quit. Or as a five, maybe he should keep going and keep trying it trying it out, or 10, it's really going well, he needs to keep doing it. Okay, 10, right, because this is an amazing thing. Everybody in the city is at the door. Everybody is bringing the, the sick and the people that are, that are uh, oppressed by demons, and he's healing them, and he's teaching, and it's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and there's a lot of success in this passage. And so, uh, we get to verse uh, 35, and it says this, and rising, that's Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This, this is kind of striking. Here is Jesus, who I pray to, right? Yes, I pray to Jesus. You, yes, that is an infirmity. Yes, you can shake your head, yes. And you pray to, Right? and ask him for help. This is Jesus who is 100% God and 100% man. And how that works out, we have no idea how that works out. Have no idea. Here is, here is the God man, the one that's healing people, the one that is teaching with authority that, that is amazing to the people that are listening to him. And here is a man that goes out early in the morning and he prays. I don't know about you, but when I have a very busy day, I'm exhausted the next morning. Like, I would, I would rather just stay in bed a little while and just kind of sleep until 10 or 11 o'clock, if I could. See, children change, they, it changes all that, right? You want to sleep to 10 or 11, but the days that you get to sleep in, you're still waking up at 7 and, and 8, Right? Right? But here is Jesus who is extremely busy and he makes sure that he takes time to pray. Jesus, the creator of the universe, takes time to pray. Jesus, who has all the power at his disposal, he takes time to pray. Here's the danger. And you need to mark it. I think you and I can get so busy we don't pray. I think you and I get so busy with life, so busy with, with baseball games and football games and running kids here and there and so busy with our jobs and so busy with our grandkids and so busy with this and so busy with that, that we forget to pray and don't pray on a given day. I think that it's very easy to fall into. I also think that I'm not the only one that falls into it from time to time. I think everybody in this room falls into this. Everybody does. There is not a perfect person like Jesus in the room. And if you are, you are lying to yourself. Lying to yourself. And we get so busy to pray. Some of us aren't busy, though. Some of us aren't busy. 
Some of us are just too lazy to pray. We're just too lazy to do it. We would rather um, sit on the couch and catch that show or that YouTube video, relax with some chips, make sure that we're watching the football game we want to watch. We're, we're just making sure that we're, we are doing that, and that is called too lazy to pray. If you have spent your time during the day entertaining yourself, whether it's through golf or whether it's through doing different activities, whether it's through having fun or sitting and watching a show, and you have not prayed, you have greatly erred in your spiritual walk with God. You have. You and I live in an amazing day, an amazing day, where that show that you want to watch, you don't have to watch it at 8 o'clock. I don't know if you know this or not, there's this thing called the internet and like Roku and Apple TV and other things. Like you can get these shows anytime you want to. We're past the day where you record them on like, you know, a VHS and you watch them later or a DVD player and you watch them later. Or, or if you, um, and I always get this word wrong, TiVo it. I never TiVoed it. Is that right? Is it T-vote? Yeah, T-vote it. T-vote it so you can watch it later. Or like press record and digitally record to later. Look, you and I have really no excuse at all. And even if you were going to miss the 8 o'clock slot, wouldn't it be more important to take some time to pray before you watch that show? Yes, it would. And so here is Jesus, busy, successful. Everything is going his way. And he takes time to pray. Have you ever wondered what that conversation would be like? When Jesus, because of the Trinity, you know, it's three in one. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus talks to the Father. But is that like talking to yourself? Or or how does that work? You know, does this ever, do you ever think about stuff like this? Like, who who is he talking to? Because it seems like the father's talking back to him, but they're just one God, but there's three persons, but he's still talking and he's still praying. So Jesus is praying to him, right? Exactly. Yeah, who is, he pray, who is he praying to? I don't know, but this is what I do know. If it was important enough for Jesus to take time to pray during a busy day, it should be very important for us to pray during our busy days. I do not have the strength to make it very long on my own. I have to have something bigger working for me. And God wants to work for me. He wants to help me with whatever task I have. So take time to pray. In fact, I might put it to you this way. You work. Oh, no. Okay. You work. You rest, you pray, you repeat. You work, rest, pray, repeat. Now go back to that picture. At the top of box, every, every single thing that he composed were these words. See that JJ right there? It was J-J-U, I don't know Latin. I don't know, I do not know. Yeah, that's right. I don't know Latin. J-U-Java, Juva, J-U-V-A is how you spell the last one. And Jesus is the first one. At the beginning of every piece, when he started to write it, those two Latin words means, Jesus, help me. 
the beginning of every piece of music that he ever wrote. Jesus, help me. What if you and I started tomorrow just getting rolling out of our bed saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Before I begin this project at work, Jesus, help me. Before I begin to make supper, Jesus, help me. Before I start looking in the word of God, Jesus, help me understand. Before I meet that person I don't like too much, Jesus, help me. What if each day we started with Jesus, help me, and at the end of our day, we ended it with all glory be to God. Jesus, help me before I go to bed, then all glory be to God. I start the day, Jesus help me. I end the day with all glory to be to God. I tried my best to give you the glory with everything that I did during the day. Mark that danger. Do not get too busy that you don't pray and don't be so lazy that you don't pray. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Here we go. For more. Um, have y'all ever, like, taken a moment to think through some songs that maybe you sung when you were a kid? Ever think through? The first time I thought through them was, was, the, was when I had uh, Aurora, and I was holding her. She was home for the first time. And I began to kind of sing her to sleep. And the song was, rock baby in a tree tall. When the wind blows, no, no, wait. rock a baby on a treetop, in the treetop, when the, the cradle will. So we're in a tree, and there's a cradle that's rocking. When the bow breaks, Aurora, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. Sleep well. Just sleep well. If you, ever, if you wonder if you're a new mom and you're wondering why your kid isn't sleepy, did you sing that song before they go to bed? Maybe the first step is to stop singing that song. What is going on? There was also a song that, that, that was, um, I wish I had a little red box to put my whoever it is in. In, in elementary school, it was Shannon Wigglesworth that I would put in, in there, a girl named Shannon Wigglesworth. She was beautiful. Um, in third grade, she was just gorgeous. So what I would do is I would run around and try to push her down on the playground because that's what guys do. We love people, and we just push them down at that age. We don't know what to do with these emotions, so we just push them down. We throw rocks. We, we do things like that. So I'd chase her around. So I wish I had a little red box to put Shannon Wigglesworth in. I'd take her out and push her down and put her back again, that sort of thing, because it was a love thing for a guy, right? Right? Well, do you know the Christian version of that song? Ever did that in, in like, vacation Bible school when you were growing up? You know the Christian version? It's a white box. I wish I had a little white box to put Jesus in. I'd take him out and hug, 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 and put him back again. Right? Ever, ever sing that? We would sing that at vacation Bible school. Maybe my church was just weird. So the second verse to that song is, I wish I had a little black box to put Satan in. I'd take him out and put him back again. Now, we didn't like as a kid the Jesus part because hugging was not cool. But man, you had a bunch of little boys in there taking out a black box and giving the devil. Oh. 
Put him back in that box. You know, you had this, this kind of thing. The concept is we can, we, you could put those two in there and take them out anytime you want to and put them back in. So with that in mind, I want you to listen to verse 36. It says this. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, great, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And in verse 39, it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Now, now let's unpack this a minute. There's a bunch of people in this town. He's had great success. They're looking for him the next day. God is at work, right? Next day, his four apostles at this moment look for him and say, look, I'm so glad we found you. Everybody is looking for you. You need to come back and talk to these people and heal these people and let's have another great day of ministry. And Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that today because I've got to go to another village and preach there. Yeah, that is Jesus saying, I've got to go somewhere else. I mean, isn't it a good thing he was needed? He was making a difference. There were blessings on his ministry. And here are these guys, his four, that were searching for him. The Greek word there means they hunted him down. They hunted him down. It's not like searching a crowd like this and I see Mitzi and, you know, I see Caleb and, you know, it wasn't like that. They, they were looking. They were trying to figure out where he was. They were trying to figure out where he went. They looked everywhere for him. They searched intently. The reason that these guys were searching so intently was there was this crowd that kept giving them pressure to go get him. Where's Jesus at? Where's Jesus at? Well, I don't know. He was sleeping, you know, in the same building last night, but he's not there anymore. Well, can you go get him? Because we have some things for him to do. Okay? So there was a lot of pressure. Each year, and don't take this as a complaint, I'm just giving you an illustration. Okay? Fair enough? This is not a complaint, illustration. Every year, when we have the chicken stew plus that starts at 5.30, there are people that arrive at 5.10 with their cups in hand, giving pressure for us to start early. So as the time goes on and it trickles down, you know, through the people, because it is kind of a a weird situation. You know, you're kind of nervous. The soup's there, but you can't really start yet. It, It always comes to me, which is absolutely fine. And can we go ahead and start? Well, we can't go ahead and start. We're we're gonna wait a little bit. The reason that we wait a little bit is because the chicken stew isn't the only thing that's going on that night. I, I know that there's other volunteers that are leading different portions of it that aren't ready to start yet. They're planning for 5.30, and whereas we don't take this the wrong way, it's just people, okay? There are volunteers that work way ahead, and there are volunteers that work five minutes after it starts. Come on, you know this is true. And I'm good with both of them, always have been. 
Always have been. So, so you've got the people that, that are almost ready, and, and there's just so much. So we have, we have the box maze that needed to make sure there was meetings happening and stuff like that, and there was other stuff happening. And finally, when our leaders are ready to go, and I respect their position, and they give me the green light, we can go. We start. But it's amazing to me that <clears throat> people actually put pressure I'm going to be real careful when I say this. They put pressure because they're already there and they're wanting a chicken stew early. Okay? Right, Jimmy? And Jimmy's awesome because he looks out of his says, <laughs> We don't start into the preacher praise. It's awesome. What a great, a great thing to do. So it gives me power. But anyway, nonetheless. So we don't start. So, so we, we push, we push, we push. Listen. People push for what they want in a church. Just like chicken stew people, except for it's more detrimental. You see, here's the danger, and you can mark this. You need to mark the danger of Christian consumerism. Christian consumerism. There are people that look for churches based on what it will do for me, what it will do for my family. Do they have this? Do they have that? Do they have this? Do they have that? It's like a menu. Do they have this? Do they have that? And there are lists of things that people look for in a church. They, they look for a bunch of things. And so someone like this, they, they, show up, they show up at church, and I'm all for visitors and all for stuff like that, but they show up at church, and they are looking for a church that will serve them rather than them looking for a church where they can serve Christ. Those are two different perspectives. And I don't know if you're here visiting today. I don't know if you're a member and you're like this. I just don't know. I know we have a great environment. I haven't encountered this with our membership. I just haven't encountered this. But this is what I want you to know. The church is not Kohl's. It's not Walmart. It's not Burger King where you can have it your own way. Right? It's, it's not some, some type of place that you go on Amazon and you look for what you want and you get it so you can consume it. The church is totally different. The church is a place where you come to serve the Savior who saved your soul. It's a place where you come to make a difference in the world. It's a place that you come because this world is broken and needs redemption. It's a place that you come because Jesus Christ gave his life to fix a broken world and you want to be a part of that movement. You do not come to church to get your own stuff handled. You don't. You come to church to serve. It is, it is amazing to me that once people get the concept that they're in a church to serve, how much their other problems just kind of go by the wayside. They, they kind of just move out of the way. It's no longer about me, what I want, what I need to be, how I need to be ministered to. It is how can I help minister to other people? And what the world needs is a group of people that thinks about other people before they think about themselves, just like their Savior thought about them before he thought about himself. 
here's a group of people. Man, where is he at? So I did some imagination. <clears throat> and if you're visiting with, I've, I've never heard any of these here, but I have heard these other places, okay? I've heard these other places. I've had conversations with um, people that would say this. So here's, here's a couple of things. The people that wanted him to be there. Why did he leave? Doesn't he really care for us? If he really cared for us, he wouldn't have left. Right? He's too busy to come and help me today. He's just too busy. That means he's too busy to care. Have you ever heard that said about any pastors before? He healed, okay, so, okay. He healed Judah, but didn't show up to heal Rebecca. We just aren't that important to him. He helped this family over here yesterday, but he's not helping me today. He's off in some other city doing something else, some other town, some other village. Why isn't Jesus with me? Here's another one. We waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, but he never showed. The last I heard, he was eating lamb chops and partying and, and partying in the next village. He must have gotten too big to help us. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had a mission. He had a mission. He wasn't here to heal people. He was here to preach and redeem the world. And we need to mark a few Dangers. Now, if you're a leader, if I was doing this at a pastor's conference or if I was doing this at a leadership conference, I would hang out with these statements. But I want to go through them real quickly and then get to the ones I want us to think about today, okay? So here's the first one, the danger of distraction. If you're a leader and you're having success, sometimes there's a danger of, of distraction because of the success, because of what has happened. And you can't get distracted with the success and sacrifice the mission that you're on. You always have to be focused on the mission that God has given you and not be distracted by the success of what has happened. Next, the danger of the thrill of people looking for you. If you're a leader or if you're a person this is across the board something that you have to struggle with and think through and pray through. The thrill of people. Oh, they looked, they looked for me. They asked for me. They wanted me. There's something inside of us that wants people to recognize that we're there and that we can help them. Here's the thrill of a crowd wanting Jesus there. And there was a danger of him um, going with that thrill and staying there instead of doing his mission. We cannot be enthralled by the thrill of people looking for us. There is more going on than just what we are doing. So the danger of the thrill of people looking for you, you can't fall for that. Next, the danger of the good things. <laughs> the good things. Aren't there a lot of good mission things that we can do? Aren't there just a lot of good things? For instance, recently I was asked to be on the board of the Salem Pregnancy Center. Now, I would tell you it's something that I really believe in. It's something that I pray for from time to time. Not every day, I have to be honest, it's not every day, but I do pray for the Salem Pregnancy Center. I cannot be on the board of the Salem Pregnancy Center. 
I have way too much to do in my mission in Farmington, North Carolina. I have far too much to do. There, there's a lot to do here, and this is where I'm called. I cannot be distracted here and do my work effectively here. Are you, are you tracking? It is not that the pregnancy center is a bad thing. It's a good thing, but the good thing can distract you, and you can't do everything well. You can't. You can do a few things well and do them for the glory of God, but you can't do a bunch of stuff. It will drive you crazy. It will send you to, to an early grave. You have to be choosy what you do. So there's a danger of the good things. And the good things make you feel bad because you really want to be a part of that. You really believe in it, but you just can't. And you can't go with those feelings and accept something and say yes. You have to go with your mission and you have to say no. Did you know that it's okay to say no in ministry? It's okay to say that. No. Um, about 14 years ago, I practiced that in front of a mirror. Philip, will you? I would play this in my mind because I'm just that crazy. Philip, will you? No. Philip, will you? No. Philip, will you? No. Philip, will you? Yes, because that makes me feel better if I say yes every now and then. Right? So, Philip, will you? No. Because you can't do all these things, all these good things that you believe in. You are only called to do this amount of stuff, and you're called to do this amount of stuff very well. You say yes to this and no to this, and it doesn't mean that this other stuff is not of God. It is. But what God is doing is way beyond my ability to be involved. You need to think about that. Cannot be involved in everything, but I can be involved in what he called me to do, and you can be involved in what he called you to do, and it's okay to say no. The danger of the good things. Next. <laughs> that is Christian consumerism. Yeah. Christian consumerism. Um, yeah. I'm going to re read you some things I wrote down. The danger of Christian consumerism. People often expect God to do things in a way they would like them done, in a way that tickles their experience and leave things as they always have been. Did you get that? We want him to do things in the way that we would do them and just leave things as they've always been. That is not exactly how God always works. People expect God to do things for them the way they would do them if they were him, okay? If I was God, I would do this. I would heal this person. I would be there for this person. I would do this, right? And they want him to do things in a way that immediately brings them out of their particular bad situation. So we pray for God to bring us out of our bad situation immediately so that we can be happy and joyful and experience joy in life rather than this hardship. That is Christian consumerism. See, when you pray to God for God to heal you, it is God heal me, but I have faith in you that you always do the right thing. So regardless if you heal me or not, but if you do, I'm going to be like, yeah, and point to God and say, great, this is awesome. But if you don't, I know that there's something bigger going on with whatever you're having me go through, right? 
So I'm here to serve you in whatever state you put me in. That is faith. A lot of people quit serving God because of the state that they feel like he has placed them in. You never quit serving God. If you ask Joseph, if you're thrown in a pit, you serve him. If you're thrown in the jail, you serve him. If you're raised to the highest level in the world, you serve him. People shop every Sunday for God. Every Sunday. There are people that shop for God. I've I've come to church. I came to Bible study. I prayed. I read my Bible. But I have this. I've paid my dues here. Do you see where I'm going? I've paid my dues here, God. Why are you doing this to me here? I've, I've done all this good stuff for, for the food drive. I've done all this good stuff for you, but here I am struggling. Why am I struggling? I have paid my dues. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Christian consumerism. We come to church not because we're trying to get on the good side of God. We come to church because it's through the blood that God put us on the good side of God. And we worship God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul. And we are trying to to worship him and give him the glory for everything that we do. It's a total different mindset. It is not a consumer-oriented sort of deal. So people get angry, they get frustrated when he doesn't show up, they, they, get, they get upset, they, they start to pull away from the faith, they start to do all these things. And once a person is that, doing that, what has happened is that God has moved somewhere else and is doing something here, and they're just choosing not to go with him. They're not choosing to go with him because they're consuming, not serving consuming, not serving. I want you to know today that when you do anything here at Farmington Baptist Church at 1835 Farmington Road, you are not doing it for me. You're not doing it for me. And I want you to know that when I do things here at 1835 Farmington Road, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for Jesus. You need to do it for Jesus. I need to do it for Jesus. We do things for Jesus. I care for you because you're one of God's children. You're my brother and sister in Christ. That's why I care for you. That's it. But it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. We limit God when we make the church a department store. We limit him. But we take him out of the box and throw him into the air and say, do whatever you want to, Lord. This is your church, and I'm here to worship and serve you. And that's when we take him out of the box, and he really starts to work. I'm really thankful, I really am, that, that people... People thank me for stuff. It's very encouraging for people to thank me for stuff. There's several people that gave me cards uh, last month in October. It was very nice. It was very nice, very encouraging. It's nice to have that encouragement. I'll tell you, sometimes you, you're holding people's, people's weight of what they're going through in their life on your shoulder, and it gets kind of dark, and it's just nice to just hear a word 
word of thanks. It's a gratitude. But I want to follow up that by saying, I look around and I recognize that God is doing a lot of things that I'm getting credit for that I had nothing to do with. Come on. Nothing to do with. There are times I get thanked for something that I'm thinking, I didn't, I didn't even do, I don't even know how that worked. I don't even know how. You're welcome. <laughs> to God be the glory. To God be the glory. I don't know how that happened. Because God is bigger than what I can do. He's at work and doing things that are absolutely amazing in people's lives all across this congregation. It's an amazing thing. Church is about you serving. It's not about you being served at all, at all. So, let's end. Verse 39 says, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. There were other people that he needed to touch. There's other people that he needed to minister to. So, a few things. First, how's your prayer life? Are you really taking time in your busyness to pray to God? Are you really taking time for him? Make sure that you do that if you're not. And if you are doing it, continue to. Make sure you have a time each day where you sit alone with him. Not driving your car. You can pray in your car. Not taking your shower. You can pray in the shower. Not in all these little extra stuff where we just say one minute, one sentence, five minute, five minute things here and there, just little simple prayers. But really get, get a place in your house where you actually sit down and you're alone and you can take some time to pray and really talk to him and have a moment. You'll be amazed what happens. Next, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's more consumerism in this church than I realize. I don't know. I don't think it's here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your heart and make sure that you're not coming to church just so your needs will be met. If you're coming to church just so your needs will be met, I'm here to tell you you're going to be disappointed. I believe that it is easier to meet God's requirements for me personally meet God's requirements than it is for people's needs requirements. So you need to think through why you're coming to church. Are you coming to church for your needs to be met? Or are you coming to church to serve the one who has met your ultimate need? Salvation. Okay? So in this moment, let's just bow our heads and pray. Take a moment to think through that. Which mindset do you have? Are you really praying like you should? Spend some time in prayer with him.